Todd Miller here with Will Seeley, and we are back for another Measuring Agility episode, continuing in our series on time to market. We're almost uh, we're almost through the flow metrics part of time to market. This is uh, this has always been our number one recommendation, right? If there's there's a ton of things you can measure, but in terms of time to market, always start with flow metrics. Yeah, always. And what I think after this, we have a couple uh, a couple things that we'll probably talk about just. For the sake of it, we're going to talk about uh, time to learn, release frequency, um, just some very specific things that you could look about. But starting with flow metrics, as well as you said, is is a fundamental is behind time to market. Um, very quickly, if you have not liked and subscribed, do that now. Hit that button. It helps us out. It gets people coming here. It gets people looking here. And uh, we appreciate the, the support in our content. It's almost as important as coffee to keep us going. Yeah, I, know. I have some coffee right here. I'm going to drink during this All episode. Right. So, Todd, last two episodes we were talking about time. I think, uh, I think this uh, this one we're going to move on to stuff. Yeah, we are going to move on to stuff. So. Uh, if you're looking, this is our board. We have a while till we're working through all this. Well, we're going to talk about managing and intervening. Right now, we're talking about measuring, right? There's a little bit more to just the KVAs and measurements, right? So when you talk about evidence-based management, everybody always just wants to know, what do we measure? To be honest with you, sometimes I think it's the least important thing for us to talk about, but we're here to answer your questions. So I'm going to hop right back in, down, and zero us on this board. Throughput, Will. Uh, we have four categories now after... My uh, my riffing us into a warning area, which I think throughput really has some, uh, but throughput, why, how, examples, and warnings. What do we think? Of, what do you think here? Should we define it first, Will? Yeah, let's uh, let's let's start there because it it always sounds a bit nebulous, right? The number of work items finished per unit of time, hmm. right? And that sounds vague, right? What's a work item here? What's a unit of time? Um, and unfortunately, we have to be vague because the answer is it depends. Mm-hmm. But let's take a more specific example. If you are a, in a scrum team, which you might be given that you're watching things on this channel, um, one way to measure this is the amount of story points you finished on a day. Or sorry, the amount of... Uh, product backlog items you finished okay. on a day. God, even I'm doing the story thing now. <laughs> I've been right. doing conversations down, about this. Right down, Will. So if you're using Scrum, the amount of PBIs finished in a day. What are you thinking sprint, Will? So this was I the this was the, the start of a very interesting conversation between me and Dan at the time. And well, we know how that ended up, we ended up writing that book about it. Um, but yes, you could you could measure throughput on a per sprint basis and not a per day basis. But if you do that and you want to start forecasting in the future, your forecasts are going to be a lot less accurate because the unit of time you're now looking at is sprints and not days. Yeah, so I'm going to put here generically, Will, uh, is define what unit of time means. And when we say that, that could be a day, could be three days, a week, right? Um, So you're measuring cycle time already, 
right? You're, so you have as your starting point and your ending point. So this is when an item has reached its ending point and has a cycle time. And you're going to say, we're going to measure that cycle. How many items have gone through and been measured and have cycle time for a day, two days, three days, a week, whatever your unit of time is, right? And that is throughputs. And, and whatever kind of granularity you need in your forecasting, mm-hmm. right? So if we, for instance, take your airport example from last episode, right? I would argue that for finding out how many people to man on, on different stations, right? Knowing how many people move through security in a day gives you actually very little to go on. So there, I would actually look at, well, how many are we moving through in an hour or potentially even in 50-minute increments because it's still going to be tens, if not hundreds of people, right? But that level of granularity allows me uh, much, uh, much more insight in my forecast on when do I see the ebbs and flows going uh, happening throughout the day and how many stations do I need to have in order to keep that flow under control. Right. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Will, I, I think that's that's very true is using that airport ex- example. I can see us having something like a throughput run chart um, for a 24 hour period and studying that throughput run chart to know when we may have more volume. Right. And that's not guaranteed, though, because no. that that doesn't take into consideration holidays, special events, things happening in the airport, staffing. It just is a good conversation provider because there's other things that we could do with with throughput and we should be doing with throughput rather than just looking at it for what it is right yeah absolutely absolutely but why do we want to know throughput todd really in the end to me the reason why we want to know throughput uh is to do multi-item forecasting to answer the question when will it be done when we have a list of things to do so uh so multi item forecasting. So if you have a list of things to do and someone comes to you and says, when is this going to be done? Um, You can give them an answer with a probability, right? So you could give them and say, okay, we have 72 things on the product backlog, right? Uh, Or our options pool. And according to what we know now, uh, 85% of the time we'll have those 72 things done in 112 days, right? Um, uh, But keep coming back and we'll keep talking to you about it because it's like the weather. We continue to update it. We continue to arrive at, uh, as we get new and better information. So multi-item forecasting to me to, uh, to answer, when will it be done? Quite frankly, for a list of things. Yeah. And of course there's the other one, right? We can turn that around and we can use that same data to, for a given range of time, answer the question, how much could we do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So let's say our budget runs out in, in three months and I'm looking at these at this list of potential features I can deliver. Right. I can take my throughput and also do a Monte Carlo and say, well, you know, there's this much chance of finishing at least this many items and slightly higher chance to finish a few less. Right. So what level of risk are we comfortable with and how do we want to order that list in order to ensure that the things we find uh, we think are important 
actually get delivered. Right now, if you're in a again, if you're currently in a Scrum environment, right, your sprint planning becomes a whole lot faster using that data and right being able to answer right from the get-go of well how much how much stuff could we potentially get done this sprint at what level of risk yeah uh yeah i love that and think about the richer conversations that you have right when you're uh i love how pratik and dan always bring that you're saying risk bring that into their conversations right it's always about risk because how much risk do we want to have and 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 if we circle back to our airport security problem Think about the risk involved with that. What if we would just leave staffing levels the same at airport security during the holiday seasons? Oh yeah, right? we've had we've had that problem in the Netherlands uh, last year, right? Travel picked up again after Corona, and even though the numbers were rising, they weren't hiring new security fast enough. And suddenly, it's not suddenly, of course, but suddenly there were four-hour waiting lines, and people started missing flights. Yeah. And think about that missing flights. Then you have customer dissatisfaction. You have all these things. And uh, when they really could have just taken a look and studied this and come up with some probabilities, because I'm guessing that the busyness at a gate, even in the Netherlands or the United States at 11 p.m. at night is Mm -hmm. very different than 11 a.m. in the morning. Mm -hmm. Right. But I'm guessing that I don't know factually. And so that's where you could arrive and look at throughput for stuff like that. Cause I guess there is a continuous improvement element to this as well. Right. I think we like these things, uh, especially the coping with risk and arriving at what, how much could we do or when will it be done from a list? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of, in terms of examples, right. Well, so we all know, we all know airport security by now, but probably another one, um, that became very relevant to us in the past few years, especially during COVID, is uh, package delivery. Mm-hmm. Right? They understand throughput like no one else because they also have to deal with hard limits because a van can only hold so much. Mm-hmm. Right? So, how do I plan out my deliveries and space out my deliveries in such a way that I don't send out empty vans, but I also don't overload a van? Right. And I'm forced to leave things behind. Yeah. And this is where, uh, where uh, this is a great example. I think that we could use a probabilistic forecasting here. Right. Let's suppose a van 85% of the time delivers 72 items. Now, notice we're not talking about the size of the items. Mm-hmm. Right. It could be a big TV and a bunch of little packages, but we know 85% of the time this van delivers 80, 72 items. Well, it just snowed, Will. Yeah. unexpectedly where there's a traffic accident, right? Or the drivers, the normal driver's sick. And so the route is a little bit unknown, right? So there, this is why we attach a probability to it and don't just say, well, we'll get 72 items done today because there's a chance that you may not. There's a chance that that driver could get back two hours early and have more capacity. There's a chance that that driver is going to get to the 51st item and something's going to happen, a flat tire, environmental changes, right? A dog chasing them through a neighborhood, right? So that's where we give space for this, right? And I think I'm going to put that in a warning. Uh, uh, This is not a surety. 
And I'm going to say, do not average it. Oh, yeah. Because that's what people are going to think. Oh, I have, you know, the past 10 days of data from this van. Let's just average it. And the average that a driver is delivering is 72. Uh-oh. There's flaws with that, Will. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's, again, this is not something we cover in, in EBM itself. All right. If you want to go into really the meat of, of these metrics, especially why you should want to avoid averaging, um, we have classes for those, mm-hmm. right? We have applying metrics for predictability. We have uh, flow metrics for scrum teams, um, right? Where are we going to meet? But for now, take it from us. Do not try to average these things. Here's another warning. Size doesn't matter here. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't try to go be smart and say, okay, this is a big thing, so I'm going to count it as two or three items. Size doesn't matter for throughput. We have other things that we look at to understand size and complexity. We talked about those in previous episodes. But for throughput, including forecasting, we are looking at a history of things with many different sizes. So automatically that variability in size is already going to be part of our forecast based on those same numbers. Throughput only cares about number of items. It does not care about the size of those items. And that's what's really cool. Uh, So by the way, likewise, cycle time, right? So don't try to same size everything. That's impossible. Just like Mm -hmm. packages. Not every package is the same size. And we don't care about it. Um, What's cool about it is looking at history and then running a lot of simulations on your previous throughput to understand and arrive at different probabilities, different risks that um, that we're willing to take to be able to make these package deliveries on time. I think around the holiday season, we're probably less inclined to be risky, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's where people are going to be the most upset if they don't get their packages on time as compared to maybe the springtime where we have less volume. Those We might be willing to cope with a little bit more risk, maybe try to put 80 items in that van rather than 72. Um, yeah. Size doesn't matter. Size doesn't matter. Um, you know what? I'm going to add another one here. I'm going to say this is the same thing from cycle time. And I'm actually just going to hop over here and copy it. I'm going to copy this and say, this is not a performance metric. Will. Oh, Oh, absolutely. So along with size, not mattering, which is probably a little bit more difficult. Make sure to, again, we're not going to dive deep in this. This is through the lens of evidence-based management. We're going to talk about why this is important. Evidence-based management is so in a moment. This is not a performance measurement. If you start if you start to try to treat throughput and increasing the amount of throughput you have, behaviors will follow. And when I mean that, people will try to just get as much stuff done as quickly as possible and ability to innovate may suffer, which eventually will lead to your current value suffering, which will actually decrease uh, time to market in the end. Often we see a correlation between uh, a low ability to innovate and a low time to market. So although that might seem like a good idea for you to insert this as a performance measurement, we're telling you this is a really bad idea. Don't do yeah. it. It's, uh, it, it, it. It can very easily turn into feature factory or just shoveling as much things over and closing things as fast as possible. Um, quality will be the absolute first thing to suffer. Right. Which leads me to 
I don't know if this is a warning or still part of the how, right? We've talked about define what unit of time means here. You also should take a moment to define what do we think is a work item. Now, mm-hmm. um, the the work this is this is based on, right? Ideally, we measure the flow of value. So when we define what a work item is, we hope that that is something valuable, right? So in a Scrum context, this can be a PBI. In a in a more generic DevOps context, this could be a feature. Um, in an HR context, this could be a hire. Um, but again, something valuable. Please don't break up your work into its into its constituent parts. Like, don't Gantt chart this stuff and then say that each of those individual little tasks are the things that you're going to task uh, are 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 going to track. Mm-hmm. Right? Analysis work by itself is probably not valuable. Just coding the thing, but not testing it, not releasing it, is not valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the other hand, a new feature that is complete is hopefully valuable. We need to validate that. We'll look at current value for that, right? Um, but hopefully it is. A defect that we've just fixed and put into production might bring additional customer satisfaction if people have been dealing with it for a while, right? But to your point, um, when you're talking about activity-oriented stuff, yeah. not valuable. Uh, we could probably say that output is uh, is generally something of value when we're outputting something. It's oh, wait, let me rephrase that. It's a proposition of value. It's not guaranteed to be value, right? Yeah. So when we say we output something, the suspicion is that we think that that is going to bring value to the customer. That's not yeah. always the case. Just because we output something doesn't mean that the customer is any more or less satisfied from it, right? Absolutely. Out output is the lottery ticket. Outcome is the winning numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, so, I, you know, one thing I think we wrap back to, Will, um, as we start to, I think, feel like we're winding down here, right, is in evidence-based management. So we're in evidence-based management. We're talking about throughput. We've talked about, you know, work item age. We've talked about cycle time. What advantage is there of using throughput and using a probabilistic forecasting for either um Answering question one, a list of things are, could be done or how much we could be done and coping with risk. What is the advantage of this when 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 you're you're talking about time to market? Well, if you remember one of our one of our earlier episodes of fixing your metric, uh, right? We we talked about information freshness, right? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we hope that you're using EBM to run a successful organization, either for profit or to deliver some sort of better impact on the world, right? Which is very much in the current value domain or capitalizing on unrealized value. So time to market, right? These are the measures that show you how fast you're able to respond to whatever it is that is happening in the market um, and also how often you can test your assumptions, right? So when... When we're talking about work item age and cycle time, we're really talking about, hey, something's happening, right? Your competitor is doing something uh, or something's happened in the world or you have a great idea. And how good is your system at getting something out there through it, through your organization 
so that you can actually capitalize on this opportunity or prevent this, this risk. Throughput shows you how often you can do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when attached with a probability allows you to make an assessment on risk with that. Yeah. And so, you, you know, well, I think we've hammered home quite a bit that uh, these are not your final decision making points, any of this stuff. What this is, is to have richer conversations. And so if someone is saying, well, how much stuff can you get done uh, by the end of August? And with that carries a potential marketing campaign, update to sales, uh, resetting standards with customers, there's a lot of risk there. And when we talk about current value, if your customers are expecting something and and are asking you uh, when they can, they're going to receive that or that set of things, it might, uh, uh, you might actually degrade trust and value with a set of customers if you're months late. Uh, this This may not tell you exactly when you're going to be there, but at least you can have a new and richer conversation about it. And then you can take your history with it and you can improve based off of that, right? All we're trying to do with all this stuff is have better conversation sooner. Is that fair? That is absolutely fair, Todd. Thanks, Will. You're fair. <laughs> is that a wrap? I think that's a wrap for today. Um, Got to make sure we get our throughput maybe a little bit higher for these episodes. Yeah. <laughs> but this one's good. Yeah, yeah, I think we, we, we do. Meaning we've been releasing these videos quite slow. <laughs> so, all right, everybody. Until next time, if you haven't had the chance to like or subscribe, now's a great time to do it. Just go ahead and click the button. Uh, it helps Will and I, helps Ryan and I, helps all of us keeps us coming and making these videos. Hopefully you enjoy this episode. Next, we'll continue our series on time to market. See you then.